Welcome to 600 Pixels, a podcast that goes below the fold of the World Wide Web to see how professionals in the industry design and build better digital experiences for everyone. I'm Travis Self, a front-end developer here at LifeBlue. And I'm Caitlin Studley, Director of Culture here at LifeBlue. This week, we are talking with Zach Dayton. He's an interactive art director here at LifeBlue, a member of our design team. He sits down with us to talk about the importance of localizing design in an increasingly global world. And he has some pretty amusing anecdotes of the consequences for businesses that don't make it a priority. So let's get into it. We are here with Zach Dayton. He's an interactive art director with us at Life Blue. And we're here to learn a little bit about his background and talk to him about some of his global uh, travels and a little bit about his specialization and interest in localization. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Ooh, welcome. Thanks for having (laughs) me on, guys. I I already love it. Yes, we do. You're already our favorite guest. Okay. (laughs) Well, I've already recorded it for my own personal gain. I'll send you your, I'll send you a copy of it. Just that part over and over again. Yeah. Just that part. Just on repeat. I'm just going to play it at Derek's desk and he's just going (laughs) to listen to it over and over and over again. Definitely. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you became a designer, maybe a little bit about your background and career and how you ended up at LifeBlue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, yeah, basically back in high school, I just, I remember me and one of my buddies, we just, we were like skater boys, right? And we saw them, those like cool Volcom shirts that had all those like cool designs and stuff on it. And we we're like, hey, we want to do that. We want to make those shirts. So we started just like screwing around and like, fake photoshop and making stuff and eventually there was a class that we both signed up for that was advertising design in school and i did that for like five semesters went to um some early college program at the at SIAC up in chicago school of art institute of chicago and um was up there for a little while and then i eventually just went to school i uh had some internships as well I went to school for, I have a degree in um, communication technology, which is like web development or web design, right? And I switched over from advertising to do that. And then also critical languages and international studies in Russian. Was that all at UTA? Uh, Yeah. So that was all at UT Arlington. And um, I did some like study abroad stuff, study abroad a little bit in Russia. And during my time during school, I had... Two, three internships. Like one was for like a web design, like SEO, like marketing, like web marketing firm mm. um, in Addison. And then there were two. One was in Ukraine, um, Active Media. Another one was in Yekaterinburg, Russia. Uh, I won't try to pronounce that. <laughs> it's like on the edge of Siberia. So um, mm, sounds warm. So yeah. what made you decide to do the Russian stuff? That's the Russian stuff. <laughs> the Russians. Like what? So like, cause like, you know, all that stuff sounds related to web development and web design, except for the other part of your interest, which is like the Russian culture and stuff like that. Like what? Did you just what? do one of those things where you spin the globe and then stick your finger yeah, on it? And you're like, yeah. I'm going to Russia. Yeah. Cause like those two things are, that's, that's what's, you know, localization is like the marriage of those two things. Exactly. Almost. So like what made you interested in like w- going uh, you yeah. know abroad and studying and all that kind of stuff. No, uh, so back in high school, I became really good friends with a Russian foreign exchange student. Um, his name was Max, 
And uh, we basically just hung out all the time. He was also like another skater boy, and we'd go skateboarding <laughs> and stuff. Because we're and matching Volcom shirts. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Probably like borrowing mine. You get, your, you get your Vans on and stuff? Oh, yeah. Dude, I worked at Vans, I think, in high school. Did you really? Yeah. So, oh, like, you guys. I was sporting Vans. Like, you were born for this. You had a discount. Oh, I had a discount. That's where half my paycheck went. <laughs> Nice. It was really good. It was like 50% off full price. Sweet. That's the bands, guys. That's the <laughs> Don't look at wife. wife look at this podcast is sponsored by. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, basically, uh, I was good friends with him. After he, he left and went back to Russia, we stayed in touch. And I was like, dude, I'm going to visit you for a year. So I started teaching myself Russian and uh, paid some Latvian guy off Craigslist to, uh, to just meet him once a weekend at starbucks and he'd uh 20 bucks and he'd be there as i read like a child book in russian and help me with my pronunciation and that's amazing and stuff like that and um yeah, eventually i went <laughs> he over just there wanted and somebody to read him <laughs> stories yeah he was just recording like, it just, for his children. he just had a weird yeah. thing for strange men reading him children's yeah, stories like, Can you just read this <laughs> he was like oh, jackpot again. Say it again. you said it wrong <laughs> say it like say this it again slowly <laughs> yeah really roll that r <laughs> No, but um, but that's how you learn to speak. <coughs> Essentially, yeah. But then Russian. After I, so when I went to Russia, I went to Stavropol the first time, which was where my friend was from, and I was there for like three months with him. Or no, not three months. Sorry, one month with him, and um, I started dating my ex girlfriend at the time, which was she was Ukrainian, and so we dated for like over four years. So like being around that all the time definitely yeah. helped because her family didn't speak english super well and they were all over here in america and just being around that i worked at a russian restaurant and um you know would have to use my russian quite often and okay so you had some immersion yeah i did in the culture and she was from ukraine so that's why i got the intern she actually helped me through family friends and stuff give me the internship over in mm-hmm. kiev whenever i worked at the there's like a web agency over there Okay, so you were already, like, doing the web stuff when you were over there, too. Yeah, so essentially I was doing advertising in school, and then whenever I, like, after two internships, I was like, dang, I'm doing just a bunch of web stuff. I should probably figure out how to do that, because I really wanted to do graphic design and illustration and stuff. Mm -hmm. So then eventually I was like, okay, I'm actually going to go to school and, like, learn how to, like, be a front-end developer. And so I was doing that for a little while, and then I was like, nah, I want to do design stuff. So went back and forth with that, yeah. And so, so when did you start to like get involved with localization or like realize that that was a thing to be aware of and concerned about? Uh, probably my first time whenever I was in Russia working or interning at uh, Active Media, they one of my main jobs there was to translate their website from Ukrainian or no, just Russian. They didn't have it in Ukrainian um, in Russian into English, and go from there. So they were using, like, I was going through translating stuff, and then, you know, when it got to, like, their map section on the website, that's when it was, like, dude, if, like, if they were trying to, like, sell themselves sell themselves to, like, Western consumers or clients or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is using Yandex maps? <laughs> and, like, how are they going to know where they're at? Like, how are they... Like, i got to change their phone number to put the little, you know, plus... Yeah, well, I think right. Plus 81 is Ukraine or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And um, I started... I used, like, Google Maps, and, and I think they took it off now. I went back <laughs> and checked it. But, like, at the time, it's like, that's what people used, right? Mm-hmm. And 
I think that's when I noticed that there was like a shift in just like cultures, right? Like mm. where as an American, if I want to search for a video, I'll go to YouTube. But if a Russian wants to, they don't go to YouTube. They go to like the Kontakye, which is like a like Russian Facebook equivalent mm. um, or VK, which is what everyone really calls it. Mm. VK. And yeah, it's just that. And then once I went to school, I had a... Um, a professor that taught localization and translation and he'd spent some time in Russia too. So a lot of his examples were, you know, like anecdotes from Russia and Russian websites and mm. just the difference of, you know, what one word is like, yeah, I can translate this website into, into like from English into Russian, but like certain words have different connotations in different languages, you know, like. Were there other examples that you experienced when you were living over there and working over there? Um, yeah. So, like, there's certain words that don't translate, right? And um, I remember there was a time where I was trying to explain, this is just more of like just Russian and English in general, where I wanted to say something that was frustrating. And if you look in the dictionary, it says, Biesnaidoshna, which like doesn't necessarily mean frustrating. Like once I got better in Russian, I actually like saw the root of the word. It was biz, which is like without, and Nadoshna, um, which is like hope. So like, it was just like, this is hopeless. And everyone was just like, why is this guy like hopeless about everything? And I was just like, I'm really frustrated. I can't speak <laughs> Russian. Everyone's like, this guy's just like, this is hopeless. I can't speak it in any Russian. And everyone's just like, what the hell are you saying? Yeah, because I guess <laughs> hopeless and frustrated are two very different things. You yeah. Know? Like there's just certain words and certain concepts as a whole that you can't explain in another language, right? Like even, it's like the word apple, you know? Like to some person, I may think of an apple like, in America, I think of a red apple. I think of teachers and stuff like that. Like, that's not what Russians think of. Like, they probably think of, like, some green apple that's, like, on this tree. And Do they I don't not know. have red apples in Russia? <laughs> they have red <laughs> apples <laughs> in Russia. Because we should send them some. If some they hot, don't. hot takes on, on Russian culture here yeah. with yeah. Zach Dayton. No red apples in Russia, apparently. It's like, you heard it here first, everybody. It's just going to turn into, like, a, a weird yeah. internet thing where it's going to get traced back to Zach. Be like, who's... Who said that Russia doesn't have red apples? Oh, that it was me. You heard guy. it here first. You heard it here. <laughs> um, so. so our listeners don't know this, but you gave a localization uh, presentation to the company. Mm-hmm. And I remember there were some examples in there about like colors that don't translate and then stuff like that. Yeah. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. So basically, um, there's been a lot of studies on just how cultures perceive different colors. Um and if you look at a lot of like global brands, a lot of their logos, like Twitter, Facebook, um, Kontakye, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Google, well, not really Google, but um, at least the G, uh, they're all blue, right? And blue is like the most neutral color across cultures. Yeah, there are some that like don't really see it as like a good color, but they're quite the minority. So like, for instance, um, one scenario I can think of is like when you're looking at Google Maps um, and you see traffic and you see it as being red, um, you see like, oh, that's a traffic jam. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to drive over there. Um, I don't know how Google Maps is in France or like wherever they use it, but whenever they use, whenever they say that there's like a traffic jam, they mm-hmm. say like, oh, traffic's black, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, it's like just dead. It's like non, like it's mm-hmm. stopped, right? And 
Um, that's just like an example of how like another culture uses it as like an adjective, right? And even the word blue in Russian um, is like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about oh. <laughs> certain things. <laughs> extra hot takes. We're gonna get, this is episode's going to be banned yeah. in Russia. I know, dude. This is the X-rated version. This is the spicy, right, kids, spicy hot take yeah. on no, Russian um, culture. But So what about blue? So yeah, blue, so there's blue. two words. Um, I remember like when I was in, in Russia, I was, I was smoking cigarettes at the time. And uh, there was a, a box of cigarettes that had a blue square on it. And at the time, my restaurant was like really bad. So I go into the store and I was with my friends and, and everything. And I go in and I'm waiting in line. And I was like, I'm going to order or like, I'm going to I'm going to ask for the cigarettes. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I want to do this myself. Like I'm learning Russian. I'm proud. I'm a big boy. I can yeah, order I'm my own cigarettes. Like, I, I remember I looked up this word before I came <laughs> in here and um, I didn't know like. It was supposed to be Kent Vosim, which is like Kent 8, but there's no 8 on the box. Like, that's what everyone called it. But so I was like, oh, I'm going to say I need Kent Blue. So I said, like, I need Kent Galuboy. And Galuboy is a is a light shade of blue. And so if you look it up in the dictionary, blue means Galuboy. And everyone starts laughing. Like, the, my friends start laughing. My The lady at the, the cash register starts laughing. Like, even old people in the line start laughing. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and I walk out of there. And I'm like, I just start saying in English. I was like, I don't speak Russian. I just want those cigarettes. Like, And she gives me the cigarettes. And my friends were like, hey, that means, like, gullah boy means gay. And I was like, what? And they're like, you got to use the word sini. Sini is like dark blue. Like, that's the word that we all use for it. Like, you don't say the word gullah boy. Unless you're talking about the color of eyes, then you'll use gullah boy. And it's like, colors just in general are associated with, with different things. And you don't know it as, dangerous. A, as a consumer. It's like, yeah, if I threw this into Google Translate, it's like, that's the reason why Google Translate is so terrible. tough to use and terrible to use when you, it's like, yeah, it's you want Google Translate. It's knowledge without context, right? It's, a, it's not a, language is never a one-to-one. So it's so difficult no. because especially when there are so many different words that have different meanings yeah so we have a website where um that was a solution i think that was came up with was we just translate yep. google mm-hmm. translate the page so it doesn't exactly like you're saying it, it's not always gonna like, no it's better i mean they to can have get somebody the gist like, of it maybe yeah exactly but yeah. you're saying that like ideal scenario is somebody who speaks the language translates it right yeah okay. and it, it just doesn't take into account like what a lot of translators will do will they have their own like translation companies will have their own software and usually like they'll have, let's say, I don't know, fossil watches, for example, they're translating something. Mm -hmm. They'll have their software and they'll have like their own fossil, like translation software where fossil is going and like, Hey, all this product information for my website's being thrown up here. So when we like translate into Italian, it's going to be this way. And then it remembers. So someone who speaks Italian will go back and kind of like retroactively fix all the grammatical errors, all the nuances and everything like that. Like this is a pun. How do you translate a pun? Right. Mm -hmm. And um, like, it just doesn't work in Italian. We don't have anything like we don't have an expression like that. Like Mm. what the heck? So they'll figure out different ways to do it. And then in their system, they'll remember how they translated it in the past and so whenever they throw it in there yeah it's like machine learning so then the next time they do it it takes a little bit less effort and then less effort and less effort because humans aren't consistent so um well this this brings up a good point because we live in a world now where everything is increasingly more global 
So even really small businesses are still interacting and operating on a fairly international scale, right? Mm -hmm. Like I meet people and they tell me about, oh, I just started this business and I have customers in China or, you know, customers all around the world, which is kind of crazy because when you think about the costs associated with localization and doing something like translating, you know, it can, depending on what the service is and how many different translations you need and you're not looking, if you're not looking for just a Google Translate service, right, it sounds like that could be super expensive. So you get into this territory where, you know, you risk making a big faux pas and possibly having a business ending mistake if you use the wrong color or the wrong phrase or word, you know, it's, it's an interesting uh, challenge for businesses in this day and age to have to factor that in, right? Like, yeah, Google Translate might work to provide enough context and information. I think we've all been on a website where it's like, do you want us to translate this? And you translate it and you're like, okay, I get the gist. Terribly wrong. Like, I I get the general idea of what you're trying to say. Uh, I don't know that I agree with the order of all the words in the sentence, but I, I think it's an interesting challenge that we face because even at LifeBlue, right, we have clients who are operating around the world and don't know that they are all necessarily using those services. So it's kind of like at what point do you are you forced to actually invest in it? And we've seen, I think one of the examples you gave in the talk that you presented to us was like McDonald's um, yeah. and some of these other companies that are... They don't even have, like McDonald's, for instance, has like, you know, 50-odd websites, right, where... Like, even in China alone, it's like they have a separate website for Hong Kong, and then they have just, like, rural rural China, and mm-hmm. they have, you know, uh, like, Hong Kong's website is in English, and then Chinese is, like, you have to go and select it, but, like, by default, the you know, the normal Chinese McDonald's website is in um, Chinese, and if you go to, like, Russia, like, it looks very different than, you know, if I go over to... Uh, like the American version mm-hmm. of McDonald's. But if I look at Canada versus America, they're pretty similar because, mm-hmm. you know, they may have poutine on the menu or something. But like other than that, it's like if we had the same menu, like menus are different in different countries, right? Like even the names of certain co- like companies. Like if you look at uh, Church's Chicken, when I was in Russia, I was at a food court and I saw Church's Chicken, but it looked different. And I was like, that doesn't say Church's Chicken. And what it said was um, like Texas Chicken, which was like Texas Chicken. Texas Chicken. And it, it had like, it was the logo in Church's font, but hmm. it's because they just don't know what that means, right? And so they just landed on Texas. Yeah, because like everyone just in Russia thinks, I mean, the U.S. is like all Texas. It's just Texas. Texas. That's amazing. But it's like something that they can relate to, right? And it's going to sell well. It's like a fried chicken. Cool. Like Texas. Sure, why not? And um, yeah, it's like really important, right? Like where if you like medical stuff, like even living in Texas, we, it's a bilingual state, right? We have, you have to have certain websites in Spanish and in English. Mm -hmm. Like, even museums like the Perot Museum exhibits all have to be in Spanish and in English. And even English can't have the priority. Like they have to be like the same size and everything. And uh, like whenever it comes to medical stuff, like that stuff's pretty serious. Like what if there was a translation issue and someone couldn't find a facility or a phone number got messed up when it was thrown into Google Translate or something or because all it is is just like a crawler that's going through and like 
you know, switching out words. Yeah. And what does that do for screen readers too? You know, does it break anything on the website? And I think it's just, it's really important to just kind of, it's always like an afterthought. And, um, there's another example with, um, uh, John Deere that I think I talked about in the yeah. uh, presentation where they were selling themselves over in Russia and they had, they'd been over there for a little while. Um, and they're pretty big because like Russia's a big country, trees and natural gas are like a big commodity over there, um, for trade and, and such. And so they were using this, uh, website that had the same slogan from America and they just like translated it over into Russian and it was like something like, Oh, the new revolution. And like revolution in Russian has like a much different connotation (laughs) than it does in America. It's like we're revolutionizing the industry and everything. But over in, in Russia, like it didn't go well. They had to like pull it completely. And it's just those little things that like people just don't consider. It's like, yeah, let's just yeah. throw it into a translator or like, can a Russian even look at this real quick and just be like, like sometimes that doesn't even suffice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you, you need a cultural consultant to just say like, eh, maybe not, maybe revolution isn't the word you're going for. Maybe we can find yeah. another way to, to spin this and have the same sentiment. Um, I'm curious to know when you're talking about these things, you, you mentioned that it's often an afterthought, which I would agree it tends to feel like that mm-hmm. and uh, is prioritized like that. What are some of your strategies as a designer and working on a team with developers, especially in working with brands that might be touched by an international audience? Like what is your strategy and approach as a designer to help work on some of those things and not make those mistakes? So, And how do you balance that with the practicality of constraints, right? Budget, time, all of these different things, limited resources. Yeah. I think um, really just taking a step back and thinking like before you design something, and it's probably more of a like development um, question or just even something to consider whenever you are dealing with like a CMS or like content management system um, for a website. It's like, all right, this website looks great and we have all the content in, in English. And then what if out of nowhere the client was like, hey, here's a bunch of French content, throw it in there okay, was, does that break your <laughs> current flow? Like, do you have to create separate pages for everything? Like, I remember working at a company, I'm not going to say what company, but like, I remember working at a company where we had to literally create separate sites for every single language. And then it was a like a content management nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have to upload an image like six, seven, eight times. And especially then too, what about the image? Is there like a picture of text in the image? Like if it was, let's say yep. if it was like an app or something and it had like notifications on it or something, mm-hmm. all those notifications have to be translated too. Because if you look yep. at um, like France, France has very strict language um, laws and stuff. They want to keep the language very clean. Like they mm-hmm. don't have a lot of cognates, which are like words that are the same in English as in mm-hmm. like another language or something or not same in English, but like same in one language yeah. as another one, like computer and computer or something. Yeah. Kleenex. Yeah. Kleenex. Yes. First, everyone knows what Kleenex is in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, you know, there are some of those words where it's like, it's a brand name, but it has just become known as the word for. Yeah. That's essentially or, like yeah. what it is. And, 
there's certain words like I think in in Finnish like so printer in um in Russian is just like printer right but like in Finnish I've, I don't know what the word is for it but my Russian professor was Finnish and she was telling me that it was like a like out putter or something like that you know like versus because it's like literally what it is yeah um like i remember i was doing some content management on that website and it was such a pain in the butt to like have to go and worry about like hey the right content has to be in here like if there's an image they can get sued like by um like i I don't know i'm not like an expert on yeah bureaucracy or just the government or anything you're not that's not in your portfolio (laughs) no unfortunately it's not but um yeah it's just like there's so many things that people don't know and that are different um, especially whenever you are like a global company right so yeah so i think what we did for the perot museum is actually a good example of like time constraints and and like Mm -hmm. this like having to make decisions about how far do you take it? Because basically we had this, like one of their exhibits is like a VR uh, experience of like this chamber that was where um, some, some bones of an ancient human relative were discovered. And like, it was led by like a team of international scientists and stuff. So we wanted to have the language of those different scientists and whatnot. Like the, the page needs to be translated for those people as well. But you know, so we basically we threw a drop down up at the top, and you can choose between the different languages. I think we actually had people f- who speak those languages translate it, but we didn't translate the entire page. Like I'm looking at it right now. Basically, we translated the FAQs and the header and the, like the main paragraph. But like there are lesson plans that you can download. Like should those also be translated? Like they're not, but like they, you can make an argument that it could be. But yeah. I guess you have to kind of make those decisions. You know. Yeah, it's, it's really, you kind of just have to wait, like, obviously there's some time and constraints into stuff like that, right? Where like a page where, yeah, all downloadable content, does that mean like all of that is also translated, right? Right, and And if there's a video. Yeah, is there a video? Is there other subtitles? Um, And I remember reviewing um, some of that stuff that our other designer, uh, Brian Kowalczyk, was, was doing on that. And he was asking me for feedback on it. And I remember originally the drop down said something like language, and it was like drop down. And um, this was like another thing I, get, I totally didn't think about it when, but when you whenever you asked. But um, yeah. it was, hey, someone who doesn't speak English can they figure out on this page how to change the language? If they don't know the word for language, like how do they know to click on this drop down? Right? I've had that issue on websites before. Yeah. it's like I, I think we've all like been there where we go to like the, some website in like Chinese or Japanese or something, and yeah, I'm going to turn my Google Translate on trying to figure it out. But yeah. it's like having a flag or having um, the language in English, and then you know, like in the drop down, maybe it's like whatever language I'm currently in, right? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. if I'm in like on the iPhone, right? If I want to go and change my language or something, if I have it in Japanese, well, it says the language in Japanese when I'm going to change it, but it also says in that language, that native tongue, like, okay, if it was in Russian, it would say like Ruski or, yeah. you know, Deutsch or like whatever for like yeah. German. And, and it's being, it's just that, that usability, right? And the accessibility that like some people can't figure that out if they don't speak the language. Yeah. And I think those are like, like good questions to just like ask yourself, Hey, if 
you took out all the text from this page and just put filler in co- content? Like, could you figure out, like, how to change the language? Could you figure out, like, where to navigate to or something like that um, to where, like, the experience is good for the user? Yeah, and I feel like the flag has been pretty universal in terms of for that. Sure. Like, you know, usually in the top, one of the top-hand corners, I feel like it's usually top-right corner yeah. that it exists. It's usually up there. Sometimes it's down in the footer. Yeah. Um, sometimes it'll be, like, a little globe icon or something. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty good, but... Yeah, it's just really figuring out because too, like if it was in Japanese and then what if like the drop down is also all the ja- like the languages but in Japanese, you know? Like Yeah. Yeah. T- like I hit English and then it's just like, okay, I see the word Japanese and and German and Spanish. Well, the Japanese user may not like know what Japanese is in English or something like yeah. that, right? Or at least how to spell it and Right. It's those are just things you have to think about. Yeah, for sure. And to go back to your point, Travis, I think trying to figure out that line, I think, you know, especially when you're providing content that maybe is a little bit above and beyond, like to me, providing a curriculum, I don't know that as a consumer or user of that site, I would necessarily expect that to be translated for me. I would think, okay, maybe if I can download this, then it's on me to get it translated. And I could mm-hmm. say like, oh, okay, I know. I know what this is. I just know I maybe need somebody to help me. So then I could either pay someone or find someone. Um, but I think so often the piece that's just missing is even just a way to contact a company and say, hey, could you or do you have resources to provide a translation for this? I feel like a lot of times that part is missing, but it is it is difficult to figure out where to draw that line, right? If you're trying to engage with an international audience, where does your obligation, yeah. you know, where does it stop and where, you yeah. know, it's, it's kind of the whole like reasonable accommodation argument, right? right? Yeah. English With, is the universal language, right? So we don't have yeah. to translate it. Yeah. But you look at like other companies, like usually if they have another website, like they're used to, like if we want to market ourselves to a Western audience, the website has to be in English, yeah. right? Like yeah. there's no way around it. And yeah. I think just living in America, like we, Oh, we take it we for granted. Yeah, yeah we, don't, granted. we don't think about it very often. Absolutely. So. It's a no. very... Yeah, little projects e- like this are interesting. Because yeah. it makes you start to think about it. Like, whoa, you know? Oh, crap. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, too, you know, taking that even one step further, where it's like, what about imagery, you know? Like, what if, um, like, I remember there was an example of an Intel internet security ad. Um, I think I showed it in the talk, too, like, that I gave and it was so basically the Intel ad it was this like online campaign for this internet security product there or it may not have been Intel I'm not I forgot what brand it was but it had all these German shepherd dogs like guard dogs sitting around this computer right and in America okay as an American I see like those are associated usually with like the police force mm-hmm. um like attack dogs, like there are like some sort of dog that will like protect you. Yeah, or, or like a service right? animal. Yeah, like a yeah. service animal. And uh, they ran the same campaign over in um, is some Arabic speaking country. Ever forgot which one it was, and uh, it didn't go well, and they had to pull it because basically dogs over there, like there's a lot of feral dogs, and people have negative connotations with those dogs, right? And like they kind of associate those with like kind of like like uncleanliness and like yeah. filth and like not protection and <laughs> and random stuff violence like that in the like in, and like police and stuff like yeah so it, you kind of have to like think about some of this stuff it's like we do research for our target our target audience over here like why don't we do that everywhere else 
And um, does that take a lot more time and effort? Yeah, of course. But, but those little things can go a long way. Worth, worth the time and effort and money when you don't have to end up pulling something that you invested time and money in anyways and start from scratch. So Yeah, and it goes back and forth. I think there was yeah. that one ad in the on the Chinese um, McDonald's website that had three burgers and the price of them or something was like six, six, six. Yeah. And right. it, it like, it doesn't mean it like maybe it doesn't mean anything to them in their culture, but like over here, it's like, like I don't even know what six to six actually means, but it's like associated the with the devil. So it's like, I mean, it makes me want to eat McDonald's even more. Yeah. yeah. It's like, dude, I'm putting the devil inside. You me. know, exactly. you're being bad eating McDonald's. I mean, so you just really people, lean into it. A lot of people probably have compared McDonald's to the devil. So that's yeah. true. Maybe that's they were, true. maybe they were onto something. They were, you know, self-reflecting a little bit. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. was just it was just subconscious. They were like, Yeah, this stuff's the devil. Might as well just price it at six six six. Let's yeah. not even try to hide it anymore. <laughs> but like you don't know that, right? Like how yeah. are you supposed to know that? Yeah, That's no, I just think there's all these like little nuances that like no one yeah. thinks of. And like and you're not expected to know that, right? Like but that's why you have other experts. That's why you pay experts. Yeah. To help you to, like, to help you out and like do those things. So what are some of the tools that you have in your tool belt? Uh, that you use when you're doing this stuff? Like, are there any specific things or maybe even just how you approach the start of a project? Like when you're thinking through some of these things like color and imagery and stuff like that, how do you kind of approach those? And are there any things that you, you kind of use as a go-to? Um, I mean, basically like you kind of have to look at the target audience of the brand that you're going for. I mean, some brands are already established that are coming to us for websites, right? And mm -hmm. they're like, we don't want our brand to change. We want, um, we just want like a new website that, looks and feels like our new brand. Like maybe they already did do a rebranding and like we don't have a lot of control over that, right? So you go in and you try to make it like, especially if it's like a more local company or something like that, who yeah. wants, it, like you don't really have to worry about it. Um, but there have been like certain clients of ours that, you know, hey, we had to have Spanish stuff on our website. Okay, well, from a CMS perspective, like, does that mean that there's a drop down? Like on LinkedIn, for mm -hmm. instance, it, I can have my profile in Russian or in English. Mm -hmm. And when I'm editing my profile, I hit a drop down that says English and then it like switches everything to English. And it actually shows like if I set it to like Russian, yeah, it will show me in the box to like write whatever, you know, school I went to in Russian. It mm. will show me the English one that I had on my English profile to where I can like kind of look and like translate, oh, um, nice. which could be like helpful, you know, from yeah. a perspective like that. That's if it's like a global client, if it's something like pro, right. Where they do have to have all their exhibits in Spanish and in, and in English, like you have to just be prepared to have content thrown in there. And is, does that mean the way that you're going to do it is going to break? Um, I think the way that we handled it was um, you choose a drop down, but it just shows you one input field. Mm -hmm. so we didn't show every other because we thought well we don't have like six input fields but to your point like it might actually be helpful because yeah, you said may, it is helpful for it you. may be like yeah but that's just like me it's like i don't even remember what i put in the field right like just from a content entry standpoint it's like i don't have to have my english one like open in a tab and like translate it or something right yeah um yeah when it comes to just design it's it's really thinking like with life blue like obviously it's pretty easy because like we have we're you know, trying to ex expand globally, but I try to like pick neutral colors. Like they're all primary colors from, you know, they're, it's primarily blue, like red and yellow. And then there's like a little bit of like turquoise, which is like in the whole blue wheeled house. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
a lot of those colors are associated with. But not uh, the wrong kind of blue, right? Correct. Just <laughs> the make sure. just the freaking just the just dope the kind. Just the good yeah. kind of blue. But like even even on American websites, like let's say it's just an American audience that's looking at it, like I'm not gonna have a CTA that's like just red, right? Like red, what does that mean to an American? That means like danger like stop danger stop. danger you know, like there's an error or something like that right it's funny because we're working on a pizza website right now and everything is red so. oh yeah <laughs> yeah you primary. have to you can't have like conflicting colors like two on a color palette right where yeah. there's a lot of websites like i remember when i would first do this i was like oh they have this color and i like this color and i'm going to the primary color on the website is going to be this, and then they're going to have little accent colors, right? But, like, all the CTAs would be the same color as that color and everything, and it's like, okay, where's the visual hierarchy here, Mm -hmm. right? Like, can I click on this? And, like, do I know that this is even a button or this is something that's clickable? So, like, now what I I try to do is I, like, try to save a color in the color palette that is, like, just for call to actions Mm -hmm. or, like, just for, like, button clicking or links in the body copy or something, right? With um, with Clywarn Park, it was just uh, just orange, right? As mm-hmm. like the CTA versus, it's like yeah, I could use that everywhere, but no, that's like an orange website. <laughs> I'm not gonna that's do crazy. that. Crazy. Well, on the note of you know uh, just trends in design, what what other things apart from localization, which is obviously becoming more and more relevant and and prevalent in the work that we do and the work that we see other agencies and other uh, industry experts working on. What are some of the things in design that you are maybe excited about right now? Um, I really think that like just personalization as a whole, right? Like where a website knows me and they know the information I want to see. Yeah. Um, like basically journeys that aren't already mapped out for me. Right. Where I can kind of map out my own journey. Choose your own adventure. Yeah, it's the same thing with like AR and VR, like augmented reality and virtual reality. It's like, just think about like if I open up my phone and I'm using like an augmented reality app, like I'm jumping right in the middle. Like it doesn't matter where I'm at, it's supposed to work, you know? Like so if there is a linear story, yeah, it needs to accommodate for that or it needs to allow me to like jump in at any point. And I think like web design and just design in general is kind of going that route. Same thing with animation, like just from when we're moving to like three dimensions and even just trying to get away from that static flat design, right? Um, From 2D, it's like you'll see drop shadows coming back. You'll see animations like, oh, I know I can click on this because it just popped up in my face type thing, right? Um, And I'm excited to kind of see the static design turn into stuff that's like more dynamic um, and just like I said, just kind of helping out like where I wanted to help out versus like, yeah, now I looked up like this cool car once and now all the ads I see are this cool, is this cool car like everywhere? Like it's obnoxious. Right. That part is the worst. And like Instagram, you don't know me. You don't know that I don't want these shoes. Please stop trying to sell me these shoes. Yeah. They know everything about you. My friend looked at these shoes. I don't want them. They're not for me. I'll like scroll through and I'll see like a cool, like I follow a lot of design Mm -hmm. stuff on Instagram and I'll like a shirt sometimes and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool shirt. And I'm like, oh crap, that was like a shop and they were paying for that ad and now they know that I like it. (laughs) And I'm like, no. Like unlike it. (laughs) They've already seen you. They already know. They already know. Yeah, I think think the idea of 
finding the right harmony of that stuff. Like it, it is really nice when mm-hmm. uh, Instagram nails it and they find something I really like. Like I found a coat, I saw an ad for a coat and then my mom oh, yeah. bought me that coat for Christmas. And I was like, I love this coat. Thanks Instagram. But then there are other times where I'm like, this is creepy and annoying. Like, please yeah. stop. Like I looked at Airbnb and we booked an Airbnb uh, when we went to Seattle last summer. And after I looked at it on my computer, uh, on someone else's Wi-Fi, then it like popped up in my fiance's Instagram, like that exact Airbnb in an ad. And I was like, this is too much. This is too far. I f- it feels like a violation now. Yeah. Like, I think finding that right balance of like, hey, this is personalized and custom to me and you know the things I like without it feeling like creepy stalking. It should be smarter now, right? Like I worked at Fossil for a while and I could see like it sucked when I worked at Fossil because every ad I ever got was like a Fossil watch. And I'm like, dang it. Like, can't you know, like, you know enough about me. (laughs) I work work here. here. Stop it. Stop sending me these ads. Oh my gosh. It should just kind of, I mean, I know that Everyone doesn't want their data out there and stuff, but it kind of helps. I mean, it does. <laughs> From a design perspective, it, it really does. It's like yeah. if you come to my website for one reason and you're never going to use any of those other other functionality, right? Like maybe it's more yeah. business to business or something like that, right? Like why is that even up on the homepage? Like it should be more hidden. Yeah. Um, so I think design is kind of moving toward that route and I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think that that was a, a pretty good overview of localization and and chatting about, especially with the specific examples that you gave us just from your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we can revisit this conversation and, you know, maybe six months or a year and see what's changed and what updates, you know, companies start making and what additional personalizations there are. But okay. thanks for spending time with us and chatting about it today. This has been really interesting. So yeah, if it's... If it's cool with you, we're gonna put the a copy of your presentation on our uh, website. We can do it. Yeah, so we'll we'll PDF post the, or something like that. Yeah, how many we'll languages a, is it gonna be translated into? Well, <laughs> how many are you gonna well, translate it? Two. Oh, we'll definitely have it in Russian and English because Zach will translate it for us. But yeah, we'll we'll have a blog we're post have to up. Change the word "life blue" to "life scene." Yeah, no, no, not the boy. No, 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 not the boy. So that's what yeah. we. That's the key takeaway from this episode. Yeah. Definitely, make sure we translate our name correctly. Definitely, yep. but yeah, we'll get a blog post up that will talk a little bit more just about some of the stuff, and maybe we can get some of those images that you talked about, so we can actually show people yeah. what some yeah. of that stuff looks like, and like come to your presentation and and share the localization love. Faux show. Get after it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye bye. See ya.